Good morning, Camp CC. This song says, you've turned mourning into dancing. You give beauty for ashes. Will you stand and sing that with me today? I search the world.
God, we just ask this morning that we be fully present in your presence. Lord, that we would remember who we're singing to. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. As we lift our voices. Lift your head, lift your eyes. Look to the sun in the test, in the trial. His grace is enough. His grace is enough, and all my soul, and all my soul, remember who you're singing to. Take heart, hold on. Remember who you're singing. Come on. He's still the Lord Almighty. He's still the King of Kings. He's still Amen. Hey. 
Man, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Happy Palm Sunday to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we are into our kind of our, you know, our, our big week where we celebrate the risen Savior. Uh, good Friday's coming up this Friday. Easter's coming up as well. And so when you leave today, make sure you hit the table right in the center of the lobby. Grab as many cards as you would like that say kind of our promotion of Easter and invite as many people around you in your sphere of influence. They say this time of year is the best time of year. People are more likely to uh, accept your invitation to come to Easter service with us. So make sure you do that today, and we're going to celebrate the Lord this coming Sunday uh, as well. We're going to take a break from the series uh, in in 1 Samuel, and we will do a uh, kind of a short teaching on uh, John chapter 9, the man born blind. It's going to be fun, so you want to be here, and you want to bring your friends and neighbors, maybe somebody who needs Christ. It'd be a great Sunday to bring them as well. And so, with that being said, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. Just in case you're new to us this very week and you don't know who I am, I always try to say hello and, uh, and kind of welcome you to our church, whether you're on campus, off campus, uh, in the video venue, wherever you're at. It's Wednesday and you wanted to keep track with us and you were gone for the weekend, whatever that's like, welcome. I just would let you know that we are uh, participating in communion together at the end of our gathering today. And so if you're online, you're going to want to get some kind of element, something that would represent elements for the end of our gathering together. If you're in the room like, oh my gosh, I missed it. It's okay. We will have an opportunity for our ushers to give you elements a little later in the service as we continue uh, together. So don't worry about that. Hey, listen, I'm super excited about the life of our church. And uh, one of the things that I'm super excited about is we have so many of these young families with little toddlers running around. Uh, In fact, if you are here and you're one of the people bringing those little, you know, under five-year-old kids. Thank you. I mean, uh, some of us have flown past that season. My youngest is now 12, going on 25, and uh, I live vicariously through you guys and your little ones, and I love how you dress them up, and you know, their shirt makes their eyes pop, and the accessories. I love every bit of it. We are so excited. In fact, we had been praying for years that God would kind of bring back that generation to our church, and so you, uh, if you're here today in that realm, you are an answer to prayer, and we're thankful to you. With that in mind, I wanted to start today with a potty training illustration, although it's been like 10 years for me. Uh, we can all go back and remember uh, those days of potty training. Some of you are dealing with it right now. Uh, and truthfully, I got to tell you this, I can't say this story is mine, uh, but I do know a father who has experienced this, and we'll just call him Joe. Uh, Joe uh, was uh, a man who was uh, kind of potty training his son, and his son was in the late stages of potty training. He's super excited about how far his son has come along. And instead of wearing a pull-up at night for, to get through the night, uh, Joe's son is now able to get through the night with just his underwear and, and pajamas. Anybody say amen or I'm praying for that day right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he's super excited. And of course, every once in a while when you're in this phase, you know, there's an oopsie. There's a, you know, oh man, we had an accident kind of a situation, and because Joe was so encouraged with the amount of progress that his son has already made in this realm, he decided to not go heavy-handed on this, to not make this a big deal. In fact, he decided to make light of it and just make it kind of a, hey, we'll clean the sheets together, we'll keep clean the mattress together, no biggie at all, call it the we can clean it together approach. The problem was that the following day, Joe's son went potty in his bed again. Uh, but this time, Joe noticed that he was wearing his, you know, his PJs, and, and as he ex- examined the pajamas, he noticed that the pajamas weren't wet. 
Uh, and neither were his underpants. And so he decided to ask his son, son, I, I just don't I quite understand. If you had an accident in your bed last night, the, the sheets are wet and, and the mattress is wet, but your pajamas aren't wet and your underwear aren't wet. Can, can you explain that to me? And the little boy looks up very, very confused at this point, <laughs> not knowing what to say. Uh, you see, Joe had made things so non-confrontational and even fun as it related to cleaning things up that his son rather enjoyed the process and wanted to have that attention every morning and decided that he would make sure that his pajamas weren't going to get wet and his underwear wasn't going to get wet, but the bed would still be wet so we'd have something to clean together. Has anybody ever been through that kind of a scenario with a child who has figured things out? <laughs> and what Joe realized is that he made things so good as it relates to his response to the quote-unquote accident, the oopsie, that it can actually hurt his son's progress in, in, in the long run. And, and then he could become like a laundromat, which he didn't want to become either. And so he's got to figure out, how do I balance this out? Okay, I want to be loving and caring and understanding at the same time. We don't want to eliminate progress because things are too easy and make, make uh, my son a little bit more complacent. And you know, I think there is a life's lesson for all of us in that. And that is when things get too easy for us, sometimes we can get complacent. Uh, sometimes when things are too easy, we actually it hurts our growth process. Just like the little boy hurt his growth process. It was too easy. It was fun. It was fun. man. I want to do this every day. Sometimes when things are too easy for us in the spiritual realm, we can get complacent in our faith as well, and we can gr- grow a lack of discipline as it relates to our spirituality. Today we're going to look at how that might be true of our spiritual lives, namely when there is smooth sailing, spiritually speaking. How that can be an impetus for choppy waters at the same time. What is, uh, what is it about advantageous circumstances that allow us to rest on our laurels or even rest on our morals? And how do they cause us to forget the main thing? How can beneficial situations cause complacency and how can that cause us to miss the mark? Why is it that once we hit the mountaintop, oftentimes we find ourselves hitting a valley low, crashing down and hitting a valley low? How is it that we can find ourselves so off track? That's where we're headed today, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 6. If your Bible's like mine, it's page 271. Not likely, but it's fun anyway, just to try. Right, so 1 Samuel chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 13 all the way to chapter 7 and verse 1. And I often say this, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you your first one. When you leave today, hit the counter and say, I don't have a Bible. And we will not only really give you one, we'll give you a coupon to get your name placed on it, the local bookstore, uh, the Christian bookstore. We would love to be able to do that for you if it's your first Bible. If you have five Bibles, don't go back there because Jesus is watching you. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we would love to get, we know there are people out there who don't even have one. We would love to get you one. Bring it every Sunday, highlight it, uh, mark it up, and learn with us. The uh, overarching question today is how can advantageous circumstances provide for a tenuous environment, an iffy environment, an environment where it's like, whoa, I'm not so sure environment as it relates to your faith. I'm having these advantageous circumstances but that can lead me actually into a place where I find some iffiness, tenuit, tenuitiveness, 
as it relates to after having these advantageous circumstances. How can advantageous circumstances provide for a tenuous environment as it relates to your faith? Number one, we're gonna see that it can cause you to go through the motions. When things are so good and everything's working so well, what ends up happening is I, I'm not as concentrated, I'm not as fixated, my eyes aren't wide open, and I can just go through the motions. Uh, when, when things are going difficult or when, when, they're, when they're hard, my eyes are open, and I'm focused, and, and I'm, I'm relying on God, and I'm fixated on the path, and, and sometimes when things are too good, I can just go through the motions, and I'm just go. I don't know if I'll go to church this week, maybe I'll go next week, I don't know, Easter, I'll, I'll wait for Easter, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, it's a, if I fudge on this one, it's not a big deal. You know, my mom used to say it, it's a white lie. As if, the, you know, you could define colors on your lies and it makes it okay or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, we can start going through the motions at times. And we're going to see that in verses 13 through 18 together. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you can watch along the screen. This is 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. I want to read it. And it says, Now the people of Beth Shemesh, that's the Israelites, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. Now you remember where we are in the story. The, the Philistines had the ark. They had conquered Israel in a battle, and they believed that their God beat the God of Israel. And they had the artifacts to prove it. They had the Ark of the Covenant, but because everywhere the Ark went, they got tumors, they said, give it back, <laughs> give it back, we don't want it, and they're sending it back to Israel, and that's what we see here. They see it coming back, and they rejoice to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, Beth Shemesh, and stopped there, and a great stone was there, and they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. You remember the two cows that the, uh, that the Philistines sent the cart with, right? They sacrificed those cows, they broke up the cart, and they actually had a sacrifice before God. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, and in which were the golden figures set, uh, and set them on a great stone, and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt, uh, burnt offerings and, sacri and sacrificed sacrifices uh, on that day to the Lord. Verse 16, and when the five lords of the Philistines who saw, remember there was the five guys who watched, watching this whole thing happen, hoping that God, the God of Israel would receive their appeasement, uh, they returned back to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. Remember there was five cities uh, of the Philistines. Each one had their own king. They were in unison saying, we are all giving it back to you. Uh, we, we believe, you're better, you know, sending it back. And so they sent uh, figurines for each city representing everybody saying in unison, we want the Ark of the Covenant to go back to God. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philist uh, Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages, and a great stone beside which they uh, set down the Ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua Beth Shemesh. We'll stop there. How can an advantageous circumstances provide for a tenuous environment as it relates to your faith? Well, it can cause you to go through the motions. And I know what you're thinking. What about what I just read has anything to do with going through the motions? It seems like what happens is the Philistine found out that God is bigger and they sent back the ark. And the Israelites receive the ark, and when they receive it, they're so joyous, they have sacrifices before their God, they worship their God. So what about this? Has anything to do with going through the motions? Well, it's a great question. 
And I'm glad you asked it. And so what I want to do is show you that this passage really is kind of, uh, um, you know, the first part is from the perspective of the Israelites, and the second part is kind of from the perspective of the Philistines. And, and, and then they, you know, mark the territory with like a monument, like, look, this is, the, this is what God has done type of thing. And so the first part we'll look at is the experience of this whole thing of Israel receiving back the ark. And we learn some, um, some bits, bits and pieces of, of information along the way. And that is, there's this cart um, with the two cows, and you remember the Philistine, the whole arrangement that we learned last week, which, which was this. Um, we're going to take two mother cows, we're going to take their baby cows and put them away, and uh, if the cows go straight for Israel, then we'll know that their God has received our penance for what we did wrong. And they're really hoping that the God of Israel will receive their appeasement or receive their penance because they're hoping this tumor problem will go away. All right? Three cities of the great five cities have already received tumors. In fact, the other two are like, don't send it to us. We know what's going to happen. Send it back to Israel. And so they're hoping that these mother cows would, would go away from their natural mindset to, to uh, kind of um, um, tend to their little ones who are crying and go straight for Israel. And if they do, then only God can make that happen. And therefore, God has accepted our penance type of a thing. And so when these two cows head straight for Israel, and, and, and they get there, the people there cut up the cart to make an altar, and then they take the cows and they sacrifice the cows to God, so to speak. And you're thinking, wow, this all seems legit. There's only one issue with this. What kind of cows were they? Male or female? They're female cows. Had Israel been really um, intent on following the word of God in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3. In Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 10, they were only to sacrifice male cows to God. They were only to sacrifice male cows to God. And then if you look at Leviticus chapter 4 verse 23, uh, you were only, only to give the best cow that you had. You could never give a cow that was at a deficit. Couldn't have a defect to boot. It had to be the perfect cow. You couldn't give the cow that was already limping. That would reflect something about your heart with God. Wait, I'm going to give the cow that's limping? I was going to use that one anyway, so I'll just give that one to God, and I can use the good ones for what I really want, right? You couldn't give the, one, the cow that was blind. You couldn't give the cow that was, that, that, that was cross-eyed. You couldn't give the cow that had some kind of birth defect. You gave your best cow to God, and you gave your best male cow to God. And here they go, perfect, these cows are perfect, we'll just sacrifice them. And right away we can start seeing, if you know more details of the Old Testament, that they're starting to kind of go through the motions. Ah, it's a cow, it's a cow, what's the big deal, God? Hey, we took the cows, they, you know, we weren't going to keep their cows, and so we... And however you can rationalize it, the fact of the matter is, they sacrifice cows to God in a way, or not in a way, but, but they use cows that God delineated against using. Secondly, they touched the ark. It said in verse 15, they took the ark out of the cart, they placed it next to a rock. And I want you to keep that in your mind because that's gonna be a pretty significant detail that comes into play a little later. 
But what ends up happening in our lives, when things are too good, we, we start kind of, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. We start, we start kind of, you know, ah, does God really care about that? And all of a sudden we start fudging on things. We start going through the motions. It can look like this. Uh, you know, I don't know that God wants me to go to church every week. And, you know, maybe every other week. Maybe once every three weeks. You know, once a month, really. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm obviously being, being very, very intent on keeping a once a month, once a month kind of a rhythm to my faith. And whatever it is, we start, maybe it's our Bible reading, maybe it's our praying, maybe it's the, the amount of worship music I listen to versus the amount of secular music I listen to, whether it was a, the time that I dedicate to God that no longer, now I'm fudging and, and, and giving something else that priority. Whatever it is, when things go too good, sometimes we find ourselves going through motions. And that's what's going on for them. Hey, we, we won. Look, it's back. Isn't this awesome? And they start fudging on the details of how God told them to appropriately worship him. And I want you to keep those little facts in the back of your head. Sacrifice female cows, and they touch the ark. Keep that in the back of your mind, because that's going to be pretty significant. And now let's turn to the Philistines and their experience. Let's go back to verse 16 and read it together. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. These are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron, the five cities which had the five uh, uh, kings representing those cities. The golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, remember they give all these, these, um, these appropriate um, uh, gifts back to God in hopes that it would appease him in hopes that he would relent off the tumors that were killing them, uh, both from fortified cities and unwalled villages and that, and a great stone beside, that's where they set down the ark as a witness this day of the field of Joshua Beth Shemesh. That's where it all happened and they were marking the territory. Look, we got the ark of the covenant back. What's really interesting here is how detailed he is, the author is, in making sure that everything is stated. Uh, you know, really this passage is about Israel and them being judged, but then, but let's not forget the Philistines. Uh, they gave five gifts according to five cities, and there was five delegates there waiting to see if, 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 if this cart went back to Israel, and, and, and everything was given exactly the, the way they were supposed to get there, hoping to appease this God. And once they saw that it had reached the border of Israel, they went back home and told everybody, wow, we think we were able to appease the God of Israel. We think he's relented on us. We think that these tumors will be gone. It's kind of interesting interplay between the two. Like, is, is this narrative about Israel and how God's enacting his judgment on Israel? Or is this narrative about the Philistines and how they went through in detail with everything they said they were gonna do in earlier in chapter six and in chapter five. Just keep in the back of your head why the author might have placed that in that section. And so uh, they marked the place for remembrance uh, and, and uh, these are the things that worked out favorably for us and so we wanna remember these things but at the same time they're kinda of going through the motion. But not only are they going through the motions, they're also forgetting the higher motive uh, how can advantageous circumstances provide for a tenuous environment, uh, if the environment as it relates to our, your faith? Well, number one, you can, you can be tempted to go through the motions. Number two, they can cause you to forget the higher motive of things. 
Uh, like when things are going good, you know, God's always blessed me, everything's going great, and so, uh, you know, I'm not sure, that, you know, uh, why do I do what I do? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I'm going through the motions, and, and I should say hi to God every once in a while, but, but the higher motive of what I do, why I do what I do, sometimes can be missed in the process. We're going to see that in verses 19 through the first verse of chapter 7. It says this, and he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh, struck them down, because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. Wow. I mean, just take in that narrative. The ark comes back, they do sacrifices, they worship God, and how does God respond? He strikes some of them down. Because they looked upon the ark of God, the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And then the men of Beshemish said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of, I'm going to go with Kariah Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. And the men of Kariah Jerim uh, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer uh, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And we'll stop there. What can, what, what can advantageous circumstances, how can advantageous circumstances provide a tenuous environment as it relates to your faith? Well, they can cause you to forget the higher motive. The higher motive. Um, here in this situation, you, you might be kind of disappointed or even angry at this text. That might be a hurricane. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, uh, you know, you might be upset. Why, why are you doing this? They, why, why did you strike them down? Like they just worshipped you when they got the ark back. Why are you striking people dead? And the reason is because they had forgotten the higher motive. They, 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 they lacked reverence in this process. It says they looked on the ark of God. They looked on the ark of God, and in verse 19, they looked inside the ark. And so when they look inside the ark, they're looking on the ark of God. Now, you've got to understand this. This is something, uh, th- this word for looking at the ark, or, or this idea of looking at the ark, or looking, at, uh, um, uh, looking upon the ark, it's, it's kind of it's the same word and, and, and phraseology could be used to gloat over or to feast your eyes on. Uh, according to Numbers chapter 4, verse 5, verse 15, and verse 20, it could be a fatal curiosity. According to Numbers chapter 4, in three different places, only the Levites were allowed to handle the ark, and yet they weren't allowed to touch it. Even those sanctioned to transport the ark of God were never allowed to touch it or look at it according to the Bible. They had to use poles, and they didn't touch the ark, and they didn't look at the ark. So imagine, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking because I don't want to die. You're not allowed to look on the ark. You're not allowed to touch the ark. Treating the ark as an object of curiosity would be akin to desecrating the ark. It would, be, it would show your heart of not having reverence towards this God. 
And, and who knows what they're thinking? Maybe they think, well, the Philistines got to see it, and they got to touch it, so we should be able to see it and touch it. But in the process, they're losing a reverence towards the things of God, the directions of God, the commands of God. Not only have they gone and, you know, kind of going through the motions, now they've they've lost the higher motive that he's higher and bigger and stronger and, and I should worship him. Now, I tell you, one of the reasons that we come on a text like this and we get insulted or we get upset with God or that little tinge inside, like, God, that doesn't seem fair, is because we've lost the art of reverence in the church today. In Western society, we've, it's a lost art of reverence. There is a lost art of reverence. I remember when I was a kid, I was brought up in a tradition where, um, where, where we were taught reverence. Like you weren't allowed to go from one side of the room to the other side of the room without genuflecting in the middle because you were in the presence of God. Uh, you, you, you were quiet at all times in the sanctuary because God resides in there. There's no laughing or joking because God is present. Every moment was expected to be a holy and reverential moment. Now, I understand some of the reasons that we don't do that today is because Theologically, we've moved away from God being present in the tabernacle or God being present in the temple. According to 1 Corinthians, God's present in us. Wherever you go is the temple of God now, according to the New Testament. And so therefore, we don't feel the same. Nothing special about this room. God will answer your prayer as much in your home as he will in this room. So it's not like this, this room is not necessarily anything special. I understand that, but in the process of understanding that deeper theology, we've lost the reverential idea that he's holy, reverent, set apart, and I should fear him and awe him and give him his respect. That's been lost, and that's why we come to this passage and we go, can you believe it? He kills him for nothing? It wasn't nothing. They weren't approaching God with reverence as he had dictated them to approach him. And so, he struck him down. He struck him down. And he dealt them a heavy blow. And you remember here, the heavy hand of God that was on the Philistines last week is now on Israel. You remember that word for, for heaviness is the same root word for glory. And God's glory is demanded, whether you're in the Philistine camp or the Israel camp, you must honor and revere and make sure that you understand that this God is holy. Just because the ark is back doesn't mean that God is the guarantor of your safety and security. You've got to worship this God. You might desire to have the throne seat of God in your midst. That's what the ark represented. You might desire to have the throne seat of God in your midst, but are you willing to submit yourself to his royal authority? It's not just a toy that came into town like, wow, he's back. This is awesome. He's here for us. Now he'll do our bidding again. No, he's God. He sits on the royal seat above the ark. That is his throne seat. Do you recognize that he has the royal authority and not you? And they, in the midst of going through the motion, forgot the higher motive of worshiping this God. So much so that it says in verse 20, they ask themselves, who is able to stand in the presence of this Lord, the holy God? Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And that's the whole point. No one, no one. 
There is none righteous, no, not even one, according to Romans chapter 3. We all approach God with reverence. He's holier than I am. He's bigger than I am. He's higher. I am lower. You approach this God with reverence. This is why I love it in our church today when, when we're having these worshipful moments and the lights are dim during worship and people come forward and they kneel down before God. And I say, yes, that's, yes, that is a person who's saying he's higher, I'm lower. I recognize it. I give you awe and reverence for where you sit and where you stand. I'm to come below and submit. You're to be enthroned. That is what kneeling does. It's a visual manifestation of an understanding of that. Now, I know there's plenty of people in the room that wish they could and their body doesn't let. I understand that. And God knows your heart and knows where you're at. And yet there's many of us who are still able-bodied. And we have to ask ourselves, does our heart have that same posture? The best part of this whole thing is their response. Starting in verse 21. It says, so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriah-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down here and take it up with you. This is hilarious, because this is exactly, remember what I told you about the Philistines, exactly what the Philistines did. The ark of the covenant came to one city, tumors, second city, tumors, third city, tumors. Oh, we get it. Don't need to go to cities five and six or four and five. Uh, just send it back. <laughs> we don't want anything to do with it. And here the ark of the covenant comes back to Israel and they say, send it away. <laughs> just took out 70 of our people. They do the exact same thing. There's an obvious parallel. The, the, the author is trying to show the parallel between the Philistines and the Israelites. Yes, I judge the Philistines for a reason. And yes, I judge the, the, the Israelites for a reason. And it happens to be the exact same reason. He interrupts the narrative with the Philistines and revisit their experiences again. Why? He wants to point them to, do you remember what they did? I mean, they had the artifact that was supposed to signify that their God was greater than the God of Israel, and yet they freely sent it back. Please take it. We, we admit, your God's bigger, you're better. We didn't win. We lost. We just please take the tumors away. Why is he mentioning both kind of in parallel fashion? I would submit to you because he's trying to make the same exact point. Israel, you thought you had won. And in the spirit of celebration, you forgot your reverence towards God. And the same judgment will come upon you as did the Philistines if you don't submit to his lordship and sovereignty as they didn't. It's not enough just to be on the winning team. Like he's God, you gotta worship him. Well, I know this is right, I know this is the right you know, worldview, and so that's why I've adopted this thing. No, it's not enough just to be on the winning team. You've got to worship him if you're going to say he's sitting on the throne. 
If we look through the summary of the book so far, chapters one through three, judgment comes on the high priestly family because they wouldn't submit to the lordship of God. The transition plan is Samuel's taking over. Chapter four, judgment comes on Israel because they weren't uh, uh, keeping the covenant fidelity and it comes, judgment comes upon them by means of the Philistine army. Chapter five, judgment comes on the Philistines to ensure that they don't get things twisted. Their God's not bigger than, his, than, 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 than the God of Israel. God reigns even over the God of Dagon. Chapter 6, judgment comes on Israel again for not keeping a reverent eye on his commands. What's the point? God is God. He is sovereign. He is king. We are his subjects. He's higher. I'm lower. And when the Philistines don't recognize that, they're judged. And when Israel doesn't recognize that, they're judged. He can't be relegated to being a, a rabbit's foot, a good luck charm, a genie in a bottle, or, or somebody that you go to to do your bidding. He's got to be God. And if you do something irreverent around this God, he can strike you down. He's a God who will not allow himself to be disregarded, whether it's outsiders disregarding him or insiders disregarding him. Reverence for the holiness of God is required for both non-believers and believers. Which brings me to the big idea, which is this. It's not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. It's not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. Everybody likes to be on the winning team. I mean, we root for the winning team. We buy jerseys in accordance with the winning team. If your team wins this year, they'll sell more jerseys than anybody else this year. Uh, we like to be associated by winning. We want, to be on, we want to be with winners. But when it comes to God, win, lose, or draw, we worship God. The worship of God can't be predicated on whether or not you feel like you're winning or losing. It's just the worship of God. It's not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. For many people today, Christianity is simply representing uh, being on the right side of the argument so that my motivation for labeling myself as a Christian is to stand against those other people who are wrong rather than worshiping God. Is that really what it's all about? Being right or is it about worshiping God? It's not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. Let me give you some examples of what this looks like in our everyday lives. You see, I'm right. I'm a Christian because I believe in the biblical moral ethic of the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Homosexuality, it's wrong. Transgenderism, it's wrong. Same-sex marriage, wrong. Abortion, wrong. I'm on the winning team, I'm right. Never mind the fact that it's no longer commonplace for Christians to wait until their marriage to have marital relations. Are you really very worried about what's right and wrong? Never mind the fact that it's no longer unheard of among Christians to seek out a no-fault divorce just because I'm quote-unquote unhappy. And when I say no-fault divorce, I'm saying no red zone issues. There isn't physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, uh, you know, drug abuse, nothing like that's going on. It's just, I'm just, I'm not happy. Am I really worried about what's right and wrong? And by the way, it's not been absent in precedent 
for a Christian family to seek out an abortion for their daughter when she finds herself unexpectedly pregnant as a teenager. See, it'd just be easier for us just to take care of this in quiet. We don't have to deal with all the prying, judgmental eyes of everybody around us wondering what we did wrong as parents, and we don't want our kid to go through this. We want her to go to college, and, and so we'll just take care of this quietly, and nobody needs to know about it. Imagine the difficulty in that teenager's mind when she tries to reconcile her own worldview with that which she thought her parents' worldview was. See, when the situation is right, wrong, winning or losing, Christianity is about worshiping God. All these situations are about worshiping God. I'm not saying that, that, that we shouldn't stand against the immoralness of our society today. Sure, but let's stand against all of it. Not just portions that are them over there who are wrong, and I'm right. Christianity is not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. I'll give you one more. You might hear some people say, I believe the Bible is the word of God, accurate according to uh, original authorial intent. It's the God, very God's word. He breathed it out. I believe it because it's right. Much like I believe the Constitution of the United States should be understood in its original authorial intent as well. And those who want to take these ancient documents and reinterpret them according to contemporary times, they're wrong. So you see, my defense of the scriptures is a precursor to something that I mean, it's even more important to me, and that is my defense of the Constitution. In fact, I'm willing to lose more for my defense of the Constitution than I ever have been willing to lose for the cause of Christ or the gospel. Just ask my friends. Ask my friends who don't know Jesus. Do they know me more for my partisan rhetoric or my gospel rhetoric? Yeah, election season's coming, so we're dealing with this. Am I more about partisanism or evangelism? Christianity is not just about being on the winning team. It's about worshiping God. Saying he's higher, I'm lower. The very thought of it brings emotions to me that he's higher and I'm lower. And this week, I didn't measure up. Would you forgive me this week? You're higher. You deserve to be revered. You're holy. You're awesome. I need to put my head down low and understand where I am in this relationship in comparison to you. We all need to ask ourselves, is this thing just about being on the winning team for you, or is this really about God? There are a lot of people who will approach God in the end, having known his name and done things in his name. Don't believe me? Look at Matthew chapter seven. Starting in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew who? You. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That crew of people knew who and where the winning team was. They just weren't on it. They thought they knew God, but they obviously weren't worshiping God. 
Cultural Christianity, please hear this. Cultural Christianity today is a form of belief in God, but instead of God reigning on the throne, we are. And we get to be religious in the process. We're on the throne, and we're religious, and we're right. That's cultural Christianity. True Christianity is he's God, I'm not, and I worship him. More than anything I worship in this world, I worship him. That's true Christianity. Has Christianity simply been about being right for you? Or is Christianity about worshiping the one true God for you? Is it really about God? Is it really about the reverence of God? Is it really about the worship of God? You see, Israel had lost the reverence for God, and I hope you'll join me in trying to learn from their pitfall. Sometimes when things are too good, it can actually be bad for us. It can actually run us into complacency. We start going through the motions. We start forgetting the higher motive. Today we're taking communion together. I hope you'll do so with a reverent heart, getting your place and your heart and your mindset right before God before you approach that. Putting him on the throne and putting yourself underneath. And letting that be a spiritual moment, a reverential moment as we do that together. Christianity is not just about being on the right team. I believe we are on the right team, by the way. But it's not just about that. It's about worshiping the almighty God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I do feel like we're coming on a season and a time where it's gonna be harder and harder to be a Christian. If you wanna stand up for biblical morality, people are going to call you a hater, call you all kinds of names. The very notion of claiming to be a Christian can be very, very, can separate you from the crowd. There's gonna be a great purging among believers and we're gonna find out who are the cultural Christians and who are the real Christians in the midst of that. Even this week, we just dealt with someone shooting up a church with kids, asking for your mercy on those families and on that congregation. We're becoming more and more marginalized even in this great Christian nation. And yet at the same time, it may be a good thing because we'll know exactly where we stand. The fact of the matter is winning or losing doesn't matter. (laughs) What matters is worshiping you. Would you get us into that mindset? I'm still gonna worship Jesus Christ on December 1st this year, no matter who takes office. (laughs) It's not gonna change anything in my perspective of who runs this universe. You, help us remember you. Help us have reverence for you. Help us to keep on seating you on your throne, uh, a reverent spot that you would be in authority over my life, that you would be the one, the preeminent one, the one in the right spot, and that I would submit to your royal authority. Help me. Nothing in this world escapes your sovereignty. We're seeing it in Samuel. Jesus says, only reason you have your spot, Pilate, is because my Father has allowed you to have it. It's all within his grasp. So we submit our hearts again to you. We ask you to remind us what this is all about and help us live it out. Not as hypocrites, but as people who really love and worship you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said,
Amen. I have some friends coming on stage right now, and we're going to shift gears real quick. Come on out here, and we got the, the Lawlers. If you guys have been in our church the last couple months, you know that we have a wonderful, and I'll have Zach and Shannon, the whole family, come on right up here. And uh, I want everybody online to be able to see their faces too, if you can get a close-up. And uh, we have uh, had a wonderful high school pastor for four, four or five years now, and uh, we have been, uh, absolutely, yeah. Tag team with a wonderful wife and kids. They, what they do, they all do it together. It's always been that way. Every, every ministry, whether it was fourth and fifth, junior high, high school, they all do it together. We've been preparing Zach, praying for Zach, and, and preparing him for, you know, who knows what's going to come next. And sure enough, there's a church in our family of churches in Arizona that needed a pastor. I put a phone call in. I got a guy. I let him preach there a couple times and see if God blesses it. Well, God has blessed it, and that means a little bittersweet for us. It's time for us to say goodbye, but we're sending off this family to do kingdom of God work and take something of what we have here and share it with another community and another church. And we're excited and bummed at the same time. You know, some of us are more excited than others, Zach. Some of us are more bummed than others, Zach. And I don't know what to do with that, except for to highlight the fact that some people are more excited than others. (laughs) Just messing with you. There's a lot of love. We joke around a lot on staff, you know, but we, you have our heart. We love you guys. We've seen you guys serve beautifully, sacrificially. Seen you emotionally distraught over kids who are going to hell. Wanting to see them come to faith. Seeing you look at women, you little girls, and, and project what they would be as women. And now God's calling you to a bigger calling. Um, God's going to use you with adults. And you boys, uh, this, is, this is a family call. You guys are in this too. And God's going to use you in that community. And we love you. Zach doesn't cry, so I'll do the crying for him. Uh, but we love, we love you guys. Um, I know, Zach, you wanted to say some things, so I'm going to give you um, 10 seconds to share with the church. Now, go ahead. I just want to say... Um, Uh, when I accepted Christ, He changed my life. He changed my world. He changed my universe. He changed my family. He changed my marriage. I remember having all this change come in my life, and I'm like, God, I want to share this with people. I want them to hear Christ crucified. I want to hear Christ resurrected. I want them to hear that Christ can change. Christ can save. Christ can set people free. And I just remember praying, God, give me a stage to do so. And I needed a church crazy enough or dumb enough to hire me. And Kenny was both, so he hired me, and, um, and it's been amazing. So all the high school kids, high school parents, I love you guys dearly. My family loves you with everything we have. I wish me praying that God brings somebody along that loves people, loves Jesus Christ, and loves the gospel. Amen. We're all going to put hands on him and his wife and his kids. If you can't reach them, uh, you know, uh, put a hand on somebody who's putting a hand on them. And if you guys would do me a favor, reach your hand forward. This is a sending mechanism of the church. It's very biblical. They did it in the first century in Acts and in the Bible. When we send somebody out, we all in unison agree and send them with the blessing of God. So would you do that with me right now as I pray? Father, we send you a family who loves you. 
We send you a family that's been radically changed by you, and we send them onto a mission where we're asking you to be God in that community. We're asking you to do amazing things, that you would save things, save people, uh, uh, save lives, uh, transform marriages, and that you would use these folks as our, as an extension of us over there in Lake Havasu. And I pray, Father, against the enemy who would love to take them down bit by bit. Uh, as we do more for the Lord, we get in the crosshairs of the enemy. We pray against the hand of the enemy and pray our God is stronger and mightier and sovereign. And we ask you to use this family and let us hear reports of how wonderful things are being done for the glory of God. Not for Zach's glory, not for Shannon's glory, not for the boy's glory, but for your glory. And we will one day celebrate together. Who knows? There was even an idea of doing like a men's retreat out in Lake Havasu and having uh, uh, Zach speak. I thought that was so fun. This is a brother of ours, an extension of ours. It'll be like a sister church to us. We send in love. We send in love. There's nothing negative about this. We pray that we can do it 20 times over more. The gospel of Jesus needs more good men and families who want to die for the cause of Christ. Would you be with our brother? Would you use him greatly? And would you share the news with us as we celebrate with him? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give these guys a hand. Well, I'm going to miss Zach a lot. We've, um, we've gone pretty close. Um, let's say thank you to Zach and his family again. He did many years in service to high schoolers and their families, and the Lawlers will be missed. So now we're going to transition into um, communion. My name is uh, Jim Moyer. I just want to say good morning. Glad you guys are here. Uh, so we are going to uh, be celebrating communion as part of our gathering worship time. And I hope you've been able to pick up the elements. Uh, ushers, please come forward now uh, at this point. If you have not been able to pick those up, the ushers have them with them. You just get their attention, raise your hand, and they'll be happy to give those uh, elements to you. So, um, what, everyone got some? That's good. I'm really good. So today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, this starts the week that is known in many traditions as Holy Week. Um, this week begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and it concludes with an empty tomb. Now we call that Easter or Resurrection Sunday and that will be next week. We'll celebrate that then. So it was during this week that Jesus observed Passover with his disciples. And during the Passover meal, he took two elements, the bread and the wine, and he repurposed them. And it was uh, to give his church, us, all of us, a way to remind us of his love and his faithfulness. Jesus' love and his faithfulness was so perfectly demonstrated on the cross. It was his death on the cross that changed everything. When we were lost and alone, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross gave us hope. And his death gave us a way back to God. Jesus rescued us. He rescued me. He conquered hell and gave 
us a path back to the Father to be adopted as his sons and daughters. So we have this relationship. And he gave us life, life now and in the resurrection. And this gift is really an eternity of relationship and communion with him. So we, all of us, have witnessed Jesus's faithfulness and his goodness. And, it, and it's his faithfulness and goodness that we can trust him for the future. So take some time during the next song to think on this truth, to meditate on the things that we have witnessed on the gift of eternity with the God of the universe. And as you sing, I encourage you to remember what you have witnessed God do in you and around you. So at the conclusion of this song, we'll do the first song, at the conclusion of this song, I will come back up here to lead us, all of us together, in celebrating communion. Let me pray. So Lord, thank you for just your, your willingness to send your son for the work that you did on the cross that we could celebrate a life with you. Father, I'd ask that during this song, would you remind us of the things that we've seen you do? Would you remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus began this tradition that we do now. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. many of you have contributed to our Mexico mission trip and we leave tomorrow. I'm going with them. So pray for us while we're gone. But if you want to give to the church, there's three ways to do it. You can do it online at campcc.net. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321. We have an offering box in the lobby. All right. On your way out, grab some flyers for Easter and invite some friends to come with you. Um, And if you've not signed up for a growth group, you can do it. Today's the last day to sign up. We also have room in our prayer uh, boot camp class. This is a deep spiritual experience in prayer, and I encourage you to sign up for that if um, you're not doing anything on Wednesday night. Um, On your way out, you can stop at the growth group table to do those two things. All right, check out what's coming up next at Camp CC. Hey, everybody. I'm Allie Smith, the Women's Ministry Director here at Camp CC. I'm so glad you're here with us today. If you're a first, second, or third-time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter just to thank you for checking us out. There's Starbucks gift cards, fancy little mugs, all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders. Mark your connection card if this is your first, second, or third time with us so we can spoil you. Or if you're watching online, you can go to kmcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at KMCC. Who are you going to be inviting? Sunday, April 2nd, growth groups and prayer boot camp begin. Maybe you've been coming to the church for a while and growth groups is just that natural next step for you. Go ahead and sign up today on the patio. This is a great way to get to know other people at KMCC do life together and it's just an eight-week commitment contact jim moyer at camcc.net to sign up or just to get some more information friday april 7th the good friday experience stations from 6 to 7 30 p.m 
This is going to be a powerful night. Just show up anytime between 6 and 7 p.m. and stay as long or as short as you would like as you have an interactive, powerful experience at every station. This experience will definitely challenge your faith. Childcare is available up to third grade. Fear is not my future. Sunday, April 9th, Easter gatherings, 9 and 10.45 a.m. Easter is coming. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We have fun programs for early childhood up to fifth grade, delicious treats, and a photo booth. This is a great opportunity to invite someone who doesn't go to church or hasn't been in a while to just join you this Easter. Statistics tell us that people are willing and waiting to be asked by somebody that they know. Who will you extend an invitation to? Sunday, April 16th, Pathways and God's Design for a Healthy Marriage Classes. In the Pathways class, you can learn more about KMCC and receive tools that will take your spiritual journey to the next level. These classes are taught by our team of staff and elders, and I will be one of those people as well. If you're checking out KMCC and want to grow in your faith, this is the class for you. For more info, email jimmoyer at kmcc.net. Saturday, April 29th, Women's Luncheon, 11 a.m. We will be hearing from women in the mission field, both near and far, as they share their journey and experiences. These tickets are $10 per person. You can sign up online or on the patio. For more info, contact me, Allison, at kmcc.net. Sunday, May 14th, Baby and Child Dedications. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day with us. If you as a parent would like to publicly make a commitment to raise your child to follow Jesus, this is the opportunity. Let us pray over you and your family. To sign up or if you have any questions, contact Elaine at kmcc.net. This will be a powerful morning. Friday, May 26th to Monday, May 29th, Family Camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Some more what? Well, some more fun, of course. There's an all-church potluck dinner Saturday night with our worship gathering under the stars at Lake Kachuma. Register now at kmcc.net slash camping. June 18th to 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing 8th graders all the way to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tuluk with wakeboarding, tubing, a giant inflatable water slide and trampoline. You will build lifelong memories. For more info, contact Jacob at kmcc.net. Registration kicks off April 12th at kmcc.net slash Friathon. what's going on here at KMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, you can always go to KMCC.net. I thought today's message was a great remember to live in the present moment and not to just skip through the motions. If you are a new guest with us, please make sure to go out to the welcome counter on your way out. On the table when you walk out, you will see a whole bunch of these. I want you to grab a big stack and you are going to pass them out to people. You, if you have kids and you're going to the park this week, please take them and hand them to the kids and the parents. If you're at the grocery store, put them on people's windshield. We really want to encourage you to invite people because at this time of year, their hearts are more open to come to church. So let's take advantage of this opportunity. On your way out, make sure to grab donut and coffee and we will see you this Friday.